Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Hydrogen, it's the future of energy. And today's program is about HY24. HY24 is a joint venture launched on October 1st, 2021 by Audion and 5T Hydrogen to manage the first large global investment platform exclusively dedicated to hydrogen infrastructure solutions. HY24 is targeting 1.5 billion pounds for its first private investment fund, which will make this platform the industry's largest clean energy hydrogen infrastructure manager. Our podcast guest today is Amir Sharifi, the CIO of HY24 and the Energy Transition Lead at Ardian. Sharifi and his team at HY24 expect to mobilize a total of 15 billion pounds worth of investments as a catalyst for scaling up the hydrogen infrastructure industry at pace. Hello, Amir, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hello, and thanks a lot for inviting me to this podcast. Yes, we're glad to have you as our guest this afternoon. And given the current pace of clean hydrogen infrastructure development, when do Ardian and 5T Hydrogen expect HY24 to reach $15 billion worth of investment? Short answer is 2027. <laughs> uh, the, the fund we have launched aims to, um, to deploy effectively 1.5 billion worth of investments. But our belief is that with every euro we spend, we have a multiplier effect of roughly 10 times. So by the time we have reached the end of our investment period, and that is in six years from now, we expect that we will be able to have deployed um, the full fund and also have enabled um, the the multiplier effect that our um, that our fund is enabler, and that is how we get to um, the figure of fifteen billion. Okay, so Amir, why is now the right time to launch this joint venture? Well, we are the conjunction of three uh, driving forces that are coming together. The first one is that you have a lot, a large number of industrial groups which have been making announcements for large capex programs for hydrogen development. If we take a figure by the Hydrogen Council, roughly it is, we're talking about 500 billion worth of investment capex that have been announced by the, by the industrial players of which 30% are at the mature stage. That is the first force. The projects are there and the capex are ready to be spent. The second force is that at the government level, there are roughly 80 billion worth of support that have been announced by a number of uh, global uh, governments. And this is becoming even more acute and, and um, concrete as the governments are passing bills uh, towards supporting uh, hydrogen development. Uh, we have heard recently uh, France in particular, that with a French uh, president uh, announcing uh, hydrogen to be at the top of his um, uh, program for um, for the economic recovery of France by 2030. Uh, we have heard as well uh, uh, Prime Minister Johnson in the UK also making similar announcements. Uh, in the Nordics, there is bills that are planned to be announced by the end of the year. And even in the US, uh, recently, there are also uh, uh, bills that are being developed and discussed using the same uh, mechanism that we receive for renewables during the PTC, uh, the, the, the tax credits. 
uh, that will enable the, um, uh, the hydrogen to be supported uh, by um, a, a dollar amount that will help to, uh, to bridge the gap between uh, the gray and the green hydrogen. This is the second force. And the third force, which is a bit missing to the table today, is the force of the institutional investors. The, the money from uh, all the financial investors and institutional investors in the world um, that uh, need to be channeled towards the best investments to enable a kickstart of the, of the ecosystem. And effectively, we have been created for this purpose, to channel uh, the, the money that is coming from uh, the sovereign wealth funds, the pension funds, the, um, the insurance companies of the world that want to use a vehicle that they know to be invested into the infrastructure that will enable the whole ecosystem of hydrogen to emerge. And we, this is why it's the right time now, because all of these three forces are, are now ready to, to join forces. And we uh, hopefully think we'll be at the center of that dynamic with the fund that we are creating. Thank you, Mir. Now, you've mentioned major energy and industrial companies as well as institutional investors. What are they, what, what role are they seeking or are going to be playing in accelerating the build out of hydrogen infrastructure? Industrial players are going to play a key role uh, on one side because, as I mentioned, they will be they have developed a number of projects. They're bringing them to the capex phase um, that will need to be funded, um, and um, and it's quite critical that we get these projects up and running uh, as soon as possible uh, for the supply to be there, but also on the demand side to initiate a movement of demand that will be there. Um, and on the other side, you'll need institutional investors that will support um, the financing of these projects and also the support of the establishing of captive fleets and the financing of such captive fleets so that demand is also there. And so when we bridge, when we are able to create the bridge between demand and supply, we solve the chicken and egg issue that has been one of the issues that we have seen as far as we've spoken around the hydrogen sphere. And we're able to kick off uh, the hydrogen ecosystem going forward. This is a global play that is happening. It's not just... Um, in, in Europe, it's happening in, in the Americas, in, in the US, um, in California, for instance, there are uh, strong support schemes that are getting, getting there. And we can see a number of industrial players uh, like First Element Fuel, uh, like Shell, that are being able to establish refueling stations. Um, we also see it, see it in the um, uh, Middle East with big announcements around net zero targets in Australia, in Korea, in Japan. So it's really a global move. And um, what is really missing to the table right now is to make sure that all of these projects really become uh, true um, infrastructures. Part of the, yes, hydrogen energy economy going forward. Right now, you've mentioned two kinds of hydrogen. You've mentioned gray hydrogen and you've mentioned green hydrogen. I believe there is a third, there's a blue hydrogen, isn't there? But uh, what are the uh, color um, uh, monikers for related to the use of hydrogen in energy? So yeah, there are even actually more, much more colors than the one you mentioned, as many as much as in the rainbow, if you want. <laughs> uh, but in practice, uh, what is underlying those colors is a bit the CO2 content. And, and what really matters ultimately is that we support and we develop projects which will have a low CO2 content. Um, so green hydrogen is the, probably the best example of it because this means that you will produce hydrogen through electrolysis so this is a separation of the H2O molecules using an electrolyzer that will itself be supplied by renewable energy. 
So this is the simplest way to look at it because the renewable energy being green, then the hydrogen itself is green. Um, the gray one is at the opposite. Um, it's not renewable energy that is supplied to the electrolyzer process. It is gas, for instance. And this is a heavily CO2 emitting process that we can see in the steel industry today. They can see a number of applications that uh, require that there is a change in the way this hydrogen is being produced. And in the middle of these two processes, you have blue hydrogen, which consists in using the gray hydrogen, but to capture the CO2 content of it using uh, what we process called CCUS, so carbon capture usage and storage. And that is a way for the CO2 that is being emitted to be stored and therefore to limit its uh, CO2 impact. Okay, good. Thank you very much. And now tell us about the two joint venture firms, your firm, Audion, and 5T Hydrogen. As I understand it, both firms were chosen by some of the world's leading industrial players and investors to lead this initiative. Why were, you, why were your firms chosen? Well, I think it's because we are able to uh, combine the best of both worlds between, on the one side, Ardian, which is one of the world-leading private investment fund manager. We are ranked top five uh, with $120 billion under management and one of the most advanced uh, players um, uh, at a worldwide scale in terms of infrastructure investments with roughly 20 billion of investments into this field. And on the other side, 5T Hydrogen, which is a new um, um, private uh, pure player in the hydrogen sphere, but which is com comprising people who are extremely knowledgeable of, this, of, this, of the sphere. Uh, you have the former head of hydrogen of Air Liquide, and Air Liquide is an industrial gas company that has been extremely advanced on the hydrogen development uh, at a worldwide scale. So he's one of the best experts of, of this sphere worldwide. Um, he's been also establishing the Hydrogen Council, which is the worldwide association to gather the CEOs of the industrial groups around hydrogen. Um, and we also have the, in this company, there is also the former head of Hydrogen Europe, which is also the association for hydrogens with a very strong knowledge of the hydrogen ecosystem and public affairs system. And also people who have been investing into the hydrogen space for the past 10 years with a track record of $600 million being spent into hydrogen in the past 10 years. So if you combine this industrial pure player, uh, very much knowledgeable about hydrogen and with the top experts, and on the other side, a fund manager with a very strong focus on infrastructure like Ardian, you can really create this new management company that is a unique, a unique animal that is a hybrid between these two worlds and that is able to bring the best of both worlds to the investors and to the global community. Good, good. Now, Amir, across what geographies and value chains will the HY24 portfolio be diversified? It sounds like it's going to be fairly global in and of itself, right? Is that right from the beginning? Fairly global from the start. We're going to have offices in Paris, in Zurich, in New York, and in Singapore. So the team is going to be global in essence. The industrial base that we are using through our investors is also going to be global because we have investors from all over the world. We currently have investors from Europe, from Americas, and from Asia. Um, and also, we're going to invest into uh, a global system because we have a deal flow that is coming to us at a global scale, and this is where we can have a relevant impact. In terms of also the diversification from a sector point of view, we are going through the full value chain of hydrogen from upstream to downstream 
and also with the midstream in the middle. Upstream in hydrogen means production. So we need to invest into the production assets of hydrogen. But we also need to invest into the mobility side of things, what we call the downstream, and also the applications of hydrogen, ultimately. Uh, this is because this is how we solve the chicken and egg issue that I mentioned before. And once we have created this dynamic where you have production assets and mobility assets that will be using ultimately the hydrogen is being produced, then you need infrastructure for transportation and storage to carry and to store the logistics of the hydrogen uh, ecosystem. And we are going to be active across the full value chain uh, in order, again, to be a key enabler of the full um, of the full dynamic. Now, you've just mentioned storage and transport of hydrogen energy. I'm assuming that the issues there are similar to other forms of renewable energy in terms of transportation and storage. Why don't you just summarize what, uh, what our listeners may want to know about those aspects of hydrogen energy development? So the great part about hydrogen is that it can be stored and it can be transported in a similar way as gas and oil have been stored and transported in the past, which is not the case for electricity, which is by nature intermittent and uh, that needs to be stored, but with a battery that is today um, with a capacity that is will be always be more limited than what you can achieve by having a fuel. So I think the power of, hi of hydrogen is that if you produce it with a CO2-free or a low CO2 content from the start, then you're able to use it in a manner that is as versatile as oil and gas have been in the last decades. And so this means that by creating the hydrogen ecosystem, we are creating a new world. It's a kind of revolution that we are, that we are seeing uh, as, as powerful as the industrial revolution, because we will see that this hydrogen will be used in the, as many applications as you can think uh, in the energy world, uh, for industrials on the industrial side, on the mobility side, uh, for heating ultimately as well, uh, for all kinds of applications where currently energy is being flowed towards uh, the, uh, the, the, all, the, all kinds of users. So it's a very powerful uh, molecule that is very versatile, but that needs to be uh, produced in, the, in, a, in a clean manner and with an economical manner. And this will happen now because we will have the scale to make it happen. Now, am I understanding you correctly, Amir, that to a certain extent, with some modifications, the infrastructure from the oil and gas industry may be able to be converted in order to uh, store and transport hydrogen, which, as you say, is a very different idea and strategy and, and a less complex in some ways than storing and transporting other forms of renewable energy. Is that correct? That is fully correct. The figure that I've seen read in many studies is that 75% of the infrastructure that will be used to transport hydrogen will be the existing infrastructure. Um, this is because uh, of the characteristics of hydrogen, which can be transported either in the form of a gas or a liquid. Um, and this is also important because um, we, we are already see that regulations are supporting this, um, this mechanism. Uh, we can see that in, in Europe, for instance, there will be mechanisms, support mechanisms for blending inside of a gas pipeline, a, cont a limited content of hydrogen inside of the existing gas pipelines. And this will require very limited uh, con conversion cap cap capex, uh, capital expenditure to make it happen. Going forward, if we want to take it at a bigger scale, 
we can, uh, we can even think that all kinds of infrastructures can be used, even the not only the gas infrastructure, but also the oil infrastructure will be very much suited for transportation of, of uh, hydrogen. Um, and this is because the steel coating that is being used for these, uh, these pipelines uh, or the salt caverns that are currently used for, for, for uh, oil storage are, have, have characteristics from a technical point of view, which are very well suited uh, to transport and to store um, hydrogen. So this is a very interesting uh, point in terms of how the logistics will be done in the future using existing uh, logistics. So you've already mentioned in this last comment uh, a couple of different value creation opportunities related to a portfolio of clean hydrogen infrastructure where you do not, do not have to literally create new storage and infrastructure. What other value creation opportunities uh, are related to hydrogen infrastructure investments? Well, from us, the value creation comes from the fact that we will be investing into assets which will need to be built, which entails a, a risk uh, associated to that and also a development risk, a construction risk, that once is behind this, enables a lower cost of capital to, to come into uh, this, the, the, the phase and to invest into these assets. So effectively, we are investing at a stage where there is a component of risk that we are ready to take because it's our nature of fund to take these risks to enable the uh, infrastructures to come to, uh, to life. But then once they have become to life, proven that they can deliver a given them, uh, amount of uh, production and, or uh, fueling stations working as expected, then the risk profile of these infrastructures will be much more limited and we'll see even more investors wanting to buy these assets. And this is where we'll be able to offload these investments into the balance sheets of other players that have a lower cost of capital. And this will be in the interest of the whole system because when we lower the cost of capital, we lower the cost of hydrogen for the whole economy including for the final users. That's terrific. So am I missing something in the history of renewable energy development? Why wasn't hydrogen the first thing that everybody started working on 25 or 30 years ago? Why, why did they go to wind and solar power and all that sort of thing if the infrastructure from the oil and gas industry was already be able to be used for hydrogen? Well, the reason is, uh, in a nutshell, is intermittency of, of renewable power. Ah. Um, and, but however, it is, it is the source that is currently identified as the cleanest way to produce, um, to produce power. But power in a global system is only 20% of the industry mix in terms of demand. So if you want to solve the problem, and this can increase over time, uh, I think some figures say it can increase to 40 or 50% by 2050. But still, we're, we're missing between 50 and 80% of the problem if we only want to solve it with power. So there is, but so hydrogen was on the agenda for a very long time of many industrial players. It's not a new topic. It's been there for decades. The reason why it's becoming a, an acute topic right now is that because we can produce this hydrogen in a clean way. And because we have a consciousness that it is important to do it. And this consciousness um, is, um, means that we will have rising CO2 uh, costs. That will mean that hydrogen is being produced today uh, using gas and fossil fuels will become more expensive. But also we're seeing that renewables, uh, which will be producing green hydrogen, are becoming much more competitive. And so the, the fact that we have on one side this curve 
of CO2 rising and on the other side, the curve of the renewable power decreasing means that uh, there, is a, there is a point that we have reached now where green hydrogen becomes competitive or starts to become competitive. What is missing is just the extra mile from uh, the support from the governments to be there temporarily to make sure that we can bridge the difference and have the infrastructure being created at scale, which means that then once this is the case, the green hydrogen will be produced and, and used in the system in a as competitive way as the fossil fueled um, um, energy. And this means that when this is the case, then we can replace a whole bunch of applications globally with this green and clean source of uh, carrier of energy. This is great. So we will want to revisit this topic with you in the not too distant future, I'm sure. Uh, but we've run out of time for today. And Amir, if you could tell our listeners how they can contact you about the opportunities we've discussed on today's program and where online can they learn more about Audion, 5T Hydrogen, and HY24. So we have a website, which is called um, high24partners.com. This is where you can find more information about it. And if you want to ask any questions, I have a LinkedIn account, and you can simply reach out to me by, by this means. Amir Sharifi. Great. Well, thanks again, Amir Sharifi, CIO of it's High24, is that correct? And it's High24. Yeah. High24 and Energy Transition Lead at Audion. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Mm -hmm.